It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Driving all night, my hands wet on the wheel. It's talking in circles. There's a voice in my head that drives my heel. With your host, Clayton Caldwell. My baby calling till I need you here. And John Harlow. And that's a half past four and I'm shifting gear. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Talking in Circles. I am Clayton Caldwell with SpeedwayMedia.com's John Harlow as we bring another great edition of this show. We're just five days away from the 59th running of the Great American Race. Uh, we're in the middle of Speed Weeks 2017. Uh, very interesting Speed Weeks uh, as far as NASCAR is concerned. But first of all, let's uh, before let's get this out of the way before we do anything. Heavy hearts to Kelly Kofsky and the other injured people over there at Volusia Speedway this week. Uh, just a, a scary and horrible incident over there at Volusia Speedway. And uh, thoughts and prayers go out to them and their families, all, all the injured folks over there at Volusia Speedway. Yeah, Clayton, um, one of the things, I've I've been a huge fan of sprint car racing my whole life, and I've never seen two cars go over the fence in the same spot within three or four days. Um, the one thing they were lucky is during the All-Star race, the All-Star Circuit of Champions race, when Joey Saldana went over the fence, Nobody was in that work area at the time. I mean, where they went over is basically their version of pit road. They had the pits outside and stuff, and they have like an extra set of stands there where the pit crew members can go up and watch the race and everything. And unfortunately, when Dale Blaney got into Rico, Rico, I mean, Rico Abreu and went over the fence, um, there were people there, and uh, this was a scary, scary scene both. In the first, I actually thought Joey Saldana, by the way he landed, it could have been the end of Joey Saldana, a couple inches here or there. It would have went instead of the roll cage, the record, the record went through the roll cage. And, um, yeah, no, that's uh, was a thanks. scary record all around for sure, John. And I'll tell you this, you know, I, it, it's it's a reality, a scary reality in racing, no matter if it's the drivers or pit crew members or whoever that um stuff like that happens we we're we, you know we we know it, the risk is out there but that was such a crazy crazy incident on the other day uh it's almost hard to believe that that something like that would happen and thoughts and prayers are go out to those people uh that are injured but uh they would want us to move on they would want us to move on and talk about speed weeks 2017 so that's what we're going to do here um first on tap was the Advanced Auto Parts Clash at Daytona International Speedway this week. Uh, it was supposed to be run Saturday. Got rained out, ran Sunday afternoon, which I liked a little bit better. Joey Logano was your winner. Kyle Busch second. Alex Bowman third. Danica Patrick fourth. Kyle, Kevin Harvick, Brad Keselowski, Chase Elliott, Daniel Suarez, Chris Buescher, Jamie McMurray round out your top ten. Kind of a lackluster event. Uh, some single file racing, you know, 
the package at, at these at these play tracks haven't been great recently, to say the least. But two very interesting things. One, I thought what Team Penske did at the end of that race, John, was very, very impressive. I mean, you had a bunch of Toyotas there on the bottom of that racetrack, and it looked like there was going to be a Toyota's race to win. And Kozlowski and Logano kind of teamed up there and broke that up. And I'll tell you, Kozlowski is quickly becoming one of the best plate racers in NASCAR. I thought that was a very, very impressive display he put him and Logano put on the field there uh, on, a, on the Vance Auto Parts clash. And obviously, it didn't work out uh, because the accident when Denny Hamlin went to block Kyle Busch and, and Logano ended up winning. But still a very, very impressive display by Brad Kozlowski, I thought. Yeah, I thought it was great whenever uh, Keselowski and Joey Logano and then Kevin Harvick picked up into the draft, too. When the three of them got together, those three uh, Roush Yates uh, engines and the Fords just um, came together, did really well. Uh, and I thought it was impressive the way Keselowski would pick them off one at a time. He'd get by one, go low, and then he'd go back up top and pick up Joey, and he'd pick off another one, go low. Um it was great racing by Brad the last five laps. The first 70 laps, you could have went out if it was a nice day, cut the grass, shovel your sidewalks, your driveways, and all that stuff. Five laps is all we needed. I mean, the first 70 laps were a snooze fest. And the one thing you and I were talking back and forth whenever the race was going on, the caution flew at lap 25. And they didn't go green again until lap 30. I mean, it's an all-star race. Just make those laps not count. Go green flag for the segment. Don't count the laps in between. I mean, that's. I mean, it's it doesn't make sense. No, I agree. I think uh, they they don't want. I think what they're trying to do is not make the event too long. And and to me, you know, you can do this. At, I always think the events clash, the clash should be no more than forty or fifty laps. I think if you do two twenty-lap segments, I think that's perfectly okay. Um, but Obviously, they're trying to sell tickets, and, and they believe people deserve something for their ticket. Um, but the only really – you're right. I mean, for the first 70 laps, it was kind of a, a – well, let's see what you position yourselves into that race and track position seemed to be everything. Um, but another very interesting part was was the Jimmy Johnson scenario this race. Um, and it's interesting because of the problems we've seen with Hendrick Motorsports in the past at Daytona. You know, last year, if you remember the Daytona 500, Chase Elliott and uh, Dale Earnhardt Jr. are fast race cars. Elliott sat on the pole like he's going to do again this year, and they both lost to coming off the turn four. And very similar style to what we saw Jimmy Johnson do twice in the advanced auto parts clash on thir- on Sunday. Now, uh, there was two cars. There was three Hendrick Motorsports cars in that race. Two of them didn't wreck. Alex Bowman, obviously, and um, uh, goodness gracious, Chase Elliott, Chase of course. Elliott. Right, they didn't. They didn't crash, so that's a, that's a positive thing. But you could hear Dale Earnhardt Jr. was in the booth, and it was interesting because you could hear the concern in his voice when Jimmy spun the first time, and then when he did it the second time, it was like, oh boy, I got to talk to Greg Ives, the crew chief for the 88 car, and that's what made it really interesting. I thought was the fact that uh, will we see this more from Hendrick Motorsports? You know, and it's funny because I think this is Jimmy's sixth straight year where he's crashed out of the clash at Daytona or the Bud Shootout, whatever you want to call it. Uh, Sprint Unlimited. This is the sixth straight year he's crashed out of that race. And you have to wonder if this Chad Knauss and the 48 team use it as a test session for the Daytona 500. And they sit there and go, you know what? We don't really care about the money. We're in for big picture. We're going to use it as a test session, try something, and that's why they've crashed out. But do you think Hendrick Motorsports cars, John, should be concerned about that 
problem where they just seem to lose it off of turn four? It seemed like Junior was to him through the broadcast. And, by the way, DW, please retire today. Junior, please retire today because you are the best thing that happened to the broadcast booth in a long, long time. His freshness, his honesty up there was really, really impressive. Um, the one thing I think Jimmy Johnson's wrecks in the uh, Unlimited showed is Junior wasn't going to practice a lot in the draft. But I think Junior's going to practice a lot in the draft now because he's kind of gun-shy because that's exactly what happened to him at Daytona last year. It's exactly what happened to him at Talladega whenever they hit the restrictor plate race at Talladega the first go-round. I mean, they rebuilt the Daytona car to run at Talladega because Junior loved that car so much, but it got wicked. And Jimmy Johnson said the car was great everywhere, and he likes a loose race car. He says, but it just that one spot snapped loose twice, and you didn't know it was coming. Yeah, and that's the scary part is that you don't know when it's coming. And I I hope Hedrick Motorsports can figure out what the problem is uh, for their sake because if they – you know, it just seemed like last year it happened, you know, over and over again a couple of times. And that's what was frustrating was the fact that it happened multiple times last year. And it just didn't seem like they knew what the issue was. Well, they better figure out what the issue is because they got 500 miles to run on Sunday and they Daytona 500 to win with all four of their race cars. And if two of them have this issue, it's not going to be good. 917-889-8280 if you want to join the conversation here on Talking in Circles. Daytime race, John. 17 cars. Well, those 17 cars have an advantage in the Daytona 500. Obviously, we don't run the duels in the daytime anymore. Uh, we're going to see some some t- some practice Thursday afternoon in the day in the daytime. But were though was that advanced auto parts clash for the 17 cars that were in that race? Was that a little bit uh, you think give them a little bit of an advantage heading to 500 miles on Sunday because they're running in the daytime where it's a little bit more slick on a racetrack? I believe it was. It's the closest they've come to that. That's the closest they're going to come to running during the actual time of the race um, in sort of race conditions, because they're going to do the shootout practice on Thursday in the daytime, but it's not going to be, the car isn't set up for nighttime racing. They're going to try to get it set for what it would drive like at night on Thursday. When they go back out Friday, they'll run a little bit to try to get it as close as they can for the 500 but I think that gave them an extra 75 laps, the closest they're going to come to race conditions that they're going to have the shot at. So I think it was a very good uh, test session for them. The one thing that I was impressed with Chase Elliott, whatever he said after he won the poll was, uh, boy, it'd be really nice. We got that number one pit stall. It'd be really nice to make it, to have a chance to pit because they didn't last year because they snapped loose coming out of turn four. It seems like there's a problem with Hendrick's aerodynamics in that one spot. Everybody else seemed, I mean, there was some looseness. You saw um, a lot of rear ends wiggling around. I mean, that's one of the things. Daytime racing at Daytona, handling does play a role, even though the track is relatively new. The surface is relatively new, and it's starting to wear a little bit. Handling in the daytime at Daytona means something. You could go Talladega and hold it on the floor for, 188 laps and never lift except the pit, but Daytona, you still have to, um, to go two, three wide. You've got to be able to have the handling on the car because the air is just going to push you every which way, but loose. And sometimes no air pushes you loose 
look at what happened to Jimmy Johnson. He wasn't even really into anything whenever he got snapping loose. Yeah, and he ruined Kurt Busch's day uh, on top of it. And it was just a very curious day on why that happened to Hendrick Motorsports. And I agree with you. I think the daytime race, you know, 75 laps for these drivers, you know, it gives them a little bit of a feel of what they want to be in. And you have to wonder uh, if that's going to help the 88 team if Dale Hart Jr., who's a guy who is looked at as one of the top notch plate racers in NASCAR, if that will affect his Daytona 500 performance on Sunday. The Daytona 500 qualifying was after the clash on Sunday. Uh, kind of a surprise, I think, when you looked at the practice speeds on Saturday for solo car runs, you didn't really see a whole lot from the Chevrolet camp. While Hendrick Motorsports, at least the, the two teams from the Hendrick Motorsports, uh, Chase Elliott and Dylan Hart Jr. came to play. Chase Elliott is on the pole for the second straight year, third straight year for that 24 car being on the pole. Uh, Dylan Hart Jr. is going to start second. Chase Elliott out-qualified Dale Earnhardt Jr. by, oh, two one-thousandths of a second to win the pole for the Daytona 500. Brad Kozlowski, Clint Boyer, Martin Tricks Jr., Denny Hamlin, Kevin Harvick, Casey Kane, Matt Kenseth, Ryan Newman, your top 10, then Kyle Busch and Ty Dillon made the top 12 in the final round of qualifying on Sunday. Uh, anything really stood out, John, to you as far as while you were kind of surprised out there on, on Sunday as far as practice speeds were going, uh, or qualifying speeds went, because... Obviously, it's a lot different here because of the draft. Uh, you know, a lot of teams don't really focus on single-car runs because they want their cars to handle well in the draft on Sunday. But was there anything that's kind of stood out where you kind of said, man, I'm a little surprised that, you know, A, this driver didn't do a little bit better. Was anybody that or, – or this driver did so well. Was anybody that stood out? I think it stood out was a head coming out of turn two on the backstretch. And if you happened to catch a lap when the wind died down a little bit, you were – it's almost like when you're waiting for a cloud at Charlotte or something. Um, Joey Logano qualifying in the 20s, that surprised me, especially as he ran great in the clash, but then um, struggled throughout qualifying. So I think that's one of the things that um, really surprised me a lot. Yeah, and I think, John, when you look at it too, I think – uh, I thought the rash cars. Now, if you, they were talking to um, Ricky Stenhouse Jr. on Saturday after practice and, and during the practice when we were watching practice for single car runs, and the rash cars seemed pretty pretty confident they were going to go out and qualify good. And, and it sounded like Ricky Stenhouse Jr. really really wanted to sit on the pole for the Daytona 500, and they didn't do that. And I think when you don't accomplish your goals, it's a problem. And I think their goal was to at least get into the top 12. Now, Stenhouse qualified 13th. He missed the top 12 by, oh, uh, about one and a half or 15 thousandths of a second. So it was close that he made that he missed the top 12, but he still missed it. Um, so, listen, I think they, they were a little bit disappointed in their laps. Trevor Bain as well when he qualified 19th. I do agree, Logano 17th. Um, a little bit disappointed as far as... Uh, how far down the RCR, some of the RCR engine power, powers cars were, Michael McDowell, even Austin Dillon, A.J. Allmendinger, Chris Buescher, those RCR teams were a little bit further down, a little bit disappointed to see them that far down. But, you know, they had Newman in the top in the top 10 there in qualifying, so that was good for them. But um, on the positive side, I thought Clint Boyer was fast. Uh, the Fords looked pretty fast. Uh, Clint Boyer, uh, Brad Keselowski, Kevin Harvick, all three made the top 12 there for them. So uh, they, they looked pretty good as well. So – um, yeah, you know, very interesting on that as far as that's concerned. Uh, two drivers qualified in on time. The two open teams that qualified in on time. Brendan Gaughan 
and Elliot Sadler. Gone driving the Beard Motorsports Chevrolet uh, qualified 33rd, and Elliot Sadler driving for Tommy Baldwin Motors, Tommy Baldwin Racing. Uh, he qualified 36. They're both into the Daytona 500, no matter what happens on Thursday. Uh, there's four open teams, Reed Sorensen, DJ Kennington, Corey LaJoy, and Timmy Hill, that has an opportunity to race their way in on Thursday during the uh, Can-Am duels on Thursday to make the Daytona 500. Um, obviously, it's it with the draft and everything, it's so far up in the air. Uh, but what do you think? You think Sorensen, Kennington, LaJoy, or Hill make the Daytona 500, John? Those two, two of those four. Who do you think makes it? I think Sorensen gets through his, and I really hope Corey LaJoy makes it through his. Even though BK Racing's a mess, I'd really like to see Corey LaJoy make the show just because this kid has fought tooth and nail, doing everything he can to be able to get a ride in series when he got a ride in the xfinity series it was going relatively well and then the sponsor didn't pay petty motorsports so that ride went away and it'd be really nice to see one of those kids that we talk about we've talked about Corey lajoy for years we've talked about brandon mcreynolds for years and here here are guys who have come up through the ranks they're good racers they just don't have a big check behind them and somebody's got to give him a shot, and Corey LaJoy's got a shot with BK Racing, and I'd really like to see him make the show. Yeah, the only thing I worry about LaJoy, and the same thing with Timmy Hill, they were so far off the pace in qualifying, you have to wonder, at least with Timmy Hill, if he's going to hang on to the back end of the draft. You know, LaJoy, uh, this team's been there before, BK Racing, I think this is about their fifth or sixth attempt into the Daytona 500. They made all four cars last year. They had two teams that needed to make it in. I don't know if they're going to use the CRD engine for Thursday. I don't know if that's a plan. They they tried that last year with four teams. Obviously, it seems like they're a little bit more financial struggle than they were in last year. Um, but, yeah, I would like to see LaJoy get in. I think that would be huge. DJ Kennington trying to be the first Canadian to make the Daytona 500 since 1988. Uh, it'd be interesting to see what he's got with, with the triad engines. Uh, and, and, listen, I always side with, with, with experience. Reed Sorensen's got the experience. He qualified third, so if, if Gone or Sadler race their way in on, on Thursday, Reed Sorensen's going to get into the Daytona 500 based on his qualifying speed. If both drivers get in, then it falls to Kennington. So, uh, you know, they're they're in better shape than LaJoy and Hill, but it should be a very interesting uh, race for those guys. You know, even though there's only 42 cars and only two go home, uh, you know, hopes and dreams of Corey LaJoy trying to make the Daytona 500 and Timmy Hill trying to make the Daytona 500 will be determined on Thursday at the Can-Am Duels on Thursday night. Okay, John. Um, it was sort of a tough week here. Tough two days. You know, obviously we, we had a, a decent, uh, you know, Sunday for NASCAR. I thought the skies were beautiful. Um, the, the duel, or the, excuse me, the uh, Vance Auto Parts clash ended, ended great. They had a lot of publicity from that ending that race. Uh, qualifying at Chase Elliott, a big name on the pole, Dale Earnhardt Jr., a bigger name on the outside of the front row. A lot of things went well for NASCAR on Sunday, but a report comes out, surfaces Monday, that um, the lack of attendance at the Advanced Auto Parts Clash, 15,000 people showed up to the Advanced Auto Parts Clash. I read something on Facebook that said, uh, apparently, Bowman Gray Stadium holds 18,000. So it just kind of puts it in perspective as far as how many people were at the Daytona International Speedway on Sunday for the Advanced Auto Parts Clash. Is that alarming, John? You think that's something where, well, maybe people kind of stayed away because of the rain. Uh, is that alarming to you that only 15,000 people bought tickets to the Advanced Auto Parts Clash? 
Um, yeah, this is supposed to be the showcase event. It's the first all-star race. You've got the biggest names in the sport. Um, after three months being off and everybody is sort of hoping, looking forward to the season getting underway again. And you don't even, that would have even sold out the Boston garden. 15,000 people doesn't sell out the garden. 15,000 people doesn't sell out the university of North Carolina's basketball hoop arena. So it's pretty sad. And I think it's pretty sad the way, and I think you had a great column on speedwaymedia.com this week where the Daytona News Journal basically quoted NASCAR and ISC by basically saying Dale Jr. being in the broadcast booth and not in the race hurt attendance. You can't throw 85,000 empty seats on the fact that Dale Jr. didn't run. And I that's mean, my point to there's 100,000 people there, 100,000 seats at Daytona, and 85,000 of them were disguised as bleachers, and you cannot blame it on the fact that Dale Jr. didn't run. Now, I can, is there, a, I is there a big loss of star power lately? Yes. The Tony Stewart fans are trying to figure out who they're going to pull for. Some of the Jeff Gordon fans went to Chase Elliott and stuff like that, but there's no Jeff Gordon. There's no Carl Edwards. Those are three huge names that are not strapping it up and putting the helmet on right now. Then you add in the Dale Jr. effect. That's four big names out of 40. That's 10% of your field. And a lot of those, I mean, those four drivers have huge fan bases. I can see some of it, but the other part is you and I sat and watched the race. We chatted back and forth while the race was going on. Could you have easily taken a nap and woke up for the last five laps? Yeah, the only reason why I didn't is because I was doing, I was, I knew I was doing this show, and I wanted to be, uh, you know, and really pay close attention to the to this race because it's the first race of the year, and I'm uh, I'm going to Daytona, and I, I'm excited for the Daytona 500. That's the only reason why I didn't. Uh, but other than that, the lust of having it the first race of the year, yeah, I think you could have taken a nap, John. Absolutely. And. We didn't miss anything. We were sitting there waiting for it to happen. The only thing that was was good is I called the lap of the first rack. But, I mean, there was no excitement other than Johnson spun and took out Kurt Busch, and then Johnson spun again until the last lap when Keselowski got by Hamlin, and Hamlin tried to block, and he didn't get done fast enough. And it was pretty good talent on Hamlin and Keselowski's part that they didn't take out the whole field. Because that could have been done. But, I mean, it wasn't a great race. The, you're going to be lucky yeah. enough to see the best race at Daytona this this weekend. It's not going to be Thursday for the duels. It's not going to be Saturday in the Xfinity race. It's not going to be Sunday in the Daytona 500. It's going to be the truck race. Because they punch such a big hole in the air. They draft, but it's also you can do something on your own. 917-889-8280. To join the conversation here on Talking Circles. Listen, I agree with you. I think a lot of it had to do with the package. I think this package in Daytona and Talladega has been lackluster the last few years. And for some reason, NASCAR has decided not to uh, change the package up just slightly. I mean, they, they, they made a, a minor, minuscule change to the restrictive plate. But other than that, they really haven't done a whole lot on the super speedways. Um, so that's something that to keep in mind there. I also think... The way they approach this Advanced Auto Parts Clash is bad. 
I'm sorry. Before the race, I saw a lot of people, and listen, I know there's a lot of fans out there who kind of uh, are silly and they don't, they're not really paying much attention, but there was a lot of fans out there confused on why Clint Boyer, who was in the 14 car for Tony Stewart, who was eligible for the clash, was not in the race, and Daniel Suarez was. I There was a lot of people discussing that, saying, I don't understand why is Suarez... And the rule to that, the and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago when it was announced, that ruling and that excuse of why he was in this in the is in the clash is absurd. I'm sorry, and it was absurd. And you can't expect people to pay money and take this race seriously when you do a rule and a a sham like that to get Daniel Suarez into this race. I'm sorry, you can't expect people to say. This is an all-star event. This is a premier event. And have Daniel Suarez get into the race who's never made a cup start. And listen, Suarez ran great in that race. He was fine, but he shouldn't have been in it. And I think that's the biggest problem. Same thing with Danica. I'm sorry. The fact that she won a Daytona 500 pole four years ago now, that, that's why she's eligible for the Advanced Auto Parts Clash. Are we serious here? I mean, you've got to be kidding me. And that is the fact that... When people look at it and go, oh, come on, that's ridiculous, they're not going to watch. I'm sorry they're not going to support something like that because it infuriates them so badly. Why is Danica Patrick in the race and my and Casey Kane, my driver's not? Casey Kane's – if this is an all-star event, Casey Kane's a much better driver than Danica. That's what people might be saying, and they're right to that effect because Casey Kane finished higher points than Danica Patrick did last year. And to explain to them that the reason why Danica is in the Daytona, is in this advanced auto parts clash is the fact that well, she won a pole Daytona four years ago. Give me a break. I'm sorry. That is absurd. Those two things. And I really do believe that affects, that affects the ratings and the attendance. I'm sorry. I do. Another thing is, and I touched on this in the article, John, is the, is the uh, hotel and lodging rates outside Daytona National Speedway. Now, that is something that they, NASCAR can't control. The Speedway can't control. So that is something that is a major factor. And there was an article, and I think it was a sports business journal that came out with it, uh, that hotel prices at Daytona in and around during speed weeks are $1,500 a night. That's more than a Super Bowl. I mean, that is absurd, absurd. That cannot be. And you can't expect people to come down for the entire week and spend an entire 10 days in Daytona when it's $1,500 a night for hotel hotel and, and lodging. That is craziness. And if Daytona wants to if, – if the hotel rooms want to keep 10 days of speed weeks in Daytona, at Daytona National Speedway, they have to lower the hotel rates. Because I'm telling you right now, John, NASCAR and Daytona National Speedway is better off condensing the weekend and putting these – the clash – on Wednesday and qualify on Thursday and then run the duels on Thursday night because it makes absolutely no sense for the teams to be down there and the fans to be down there if you're only going to get 15,000 people in Daytona National Speedway. It makes no sense. That's that's my take on it, John. Well, I think you're 99% dead on the money. I think one of the things um, NASCAR is a billion-dollar corporation. They should have enough lobbyists that they could go to the Florida State House. And go to the representatives who represent the state of Florida to make sure that price gouging doesn't take place. I know this is a free market economy and everything, but it's sort of like whenever um, 
they had Hurricane Katrina in Louisiana. And you remember within a day of the hurricane hitting, gas went from a buck fifty four a gallon to like four thirty five because they were all afraid of the refineries not being able to be used. So they jacked up the prices to make their money while they can. I think that's the thing they need to do. The same problem happens at Bristol. There's very few hotels around Bristol. Try going to Pocono and not staying in Allentown, which is a good hour plus away. The hotels are making fortune off of it because they can. There's nothing stopping them. The, you'd think NASCAR would go to the legislatures in all these states and try to get some sort of price gouging law passed when it comes to the hotel industry, because the hotel industry is what's killing part of the product. I mean, part of it's the racing on uh, the super speedways is terrible right now, but the other problem is the whole the whole set, the whole group makes no sense. You're paying fifteen hundred dollars a night to stay in a hotel. That's half the mortgage. Plus, you go down there, if if they would have went the way they're supposed to, they would have had clash, call, I mean, clash practice Friday, the um, clash on Saturday, pole. The track is totally dead Monday and Tuesday. Yeah, you can go to the beach and all that stuff, but for 1500 bucks a night, I'm going to go back home. And maybe come back Thursday. So that's what I would end up. That's part of the problem there. Right. And and that's the thing, John. I think when there's no track activity, Monday, Tuesday, now there's no track activity this year. On a Wednesday, uh, they've condensed the, the practice time down to Thursday afternoon now. It makes you wonder, why am I going there for speed weeks when I'm going to have three days of no track activity? Now, obviously, there's dirt and, and there's short track racing at New Smyrna. And if you're into that kind of stuff which some fans are, I think that's huge. But the majority of, of the Speed Week's crowd won't show up till Thursday. And you can't blame them because I think you know, it's much easier to call in sick for two days of work than it is for five days of work, especially when you're not going to see a whole lot going on. Um, and maybe Dylan Hart Jr.'s lack of star power, that is not going away. That's my point to this whole thing. That is not going away. Dylan Hart Jr. has yet to sign his contract extension at Hendrick Motorsports. And I think it's basically due to the fact that he's kind of sitting there going, eh, I'm not really sure what if, you know, if I get take another hit and, and you know, I might retire uh, at the end of the year. So, hey, it, it's it's a problem that is not going away. Matt Kenseth, a pretty popular driver. He's got more years behind him than he has ahead of him. Jimmy Johnson, a seven time champion. He's got more years behind him than he has ahead of him. Kevin Harvick, who's a popular driver. He's in his 40s. That's not going away. So you have to fix what you can fix. Control the things that you can control. Don't worry about the things you can't control. And you can control the product on the racetrack, and I think that is where they've kind of gotten away from. I mean, I remember, John, when I was a kid, and I know this cost the race teams a lot of money, but there would be changes in speed weeks. It, it was a ritual in the 90s to have at least two or three changes during speed weeks, whether it was a spoiler, whether it was a front nose, something whether the Chevrolets helped, helped the Chevrolets, whether they helped the Ford, something, but it always made the product better. That's the thing, you know, and, and who benefited from that? The fans. And that is what I think you have to look at and you say, yeah, it's going to cost the race teams a lot of money, but these teams are now multi, 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 
million dollar organizations. Huge, huge, huge organizations. Hendrick Motorsports is ginormous. They can afford to take some kind of, you know, if you have to chop the spoiler down two inches to make the racing a little bit better, they can afford that. If you have to put out the, you know, these teams can afford that. And that's my point to this because the fans are suffering by watching a, a diluted product on a racetrack as far as if we know there's an issue, we know that the, that the bottom lane and the top lane or vice versa don't work. And if it's only a one lane racetrack, let's try and fix that. Let's try and do something like that. We wouldn't go back in the nineties. If there was a problem, we wouldn't go on entire speed weeks with that problem. Bill France Jr. would sit there and go, okay, we're changing this. We're changing that. We're changing this. And boom, it would fix the racing. And people would go, wow, this is really good. Sure, it cost the team's money, and the owners complained, but at the end of the day, the fans benefited. And I'm not saying they should go do that full full force this time, but if we get to Thursday and these races are, we're sitting there going, man, and they're running the single file, there should be some change. I really do believe that. I think they need to look at some, at least look at it and consider it. But I don't think it's going to happen because the ownership union, the RTA, the Race Team Alliance, would never allow that to happen. And that kind of leads us to our next point here, John. But, you know, they would never let that happen because of the fact that France has, has allowed them to sort of unionize here, and that won't happen this year or, or any time in the near future. I think of the points you were talking about, there's a couple of them that I really want to talk about. I was uh, watching a Dan Patrick show this morning, and Dale and Amy were guests on the show. And Junior flat out said, he didn't know until about Thanksgiving whether he was even going to have a, ch- a chance to be in the car. And he said that he's going to wait a couple months before he even thinks about talking new contract with Mr. Hendrick, partially because he wants to see how the first couple months go. He knows if he gets another hit, could be done. He's a newly married man. He wants to start a family with Amy. He's not the Dale Jr. of old where he would try to race through it. I mean, he wants to be a productive member of society. He doesn't want to be um, Dick Trickle whenever he's in his 60s because Dick Trickle raced through how many concussions that nobody knew about because we know about back then. And I almost to be year, year. And yeah, no, yeah. I mean, listen, John. I, I I agree. I think you know when you think about Dale Hart Jr. Again, that problem with him is not going away. And I think that's what it, that ultimately what you're saying there is is that it's not going away. And I think when you look at it from that standpoint, you have to sit there and say, fix the stuff you can you can fix. You know what I mean? You there, John? You know, and I think that's what you have to look at too is, is the fact that you know this is when these owners unionize and stuff like that. You know, it, it kind of limits NASCAR to what they're doing. And I think when you when you look at that point, um, you know, it just seems like with the unions and stuff like that, this never would have happened under his father, uh, Brian Francis' dad's reign and his granddad's reign. You know, we, we saw it in 1969 what happened when the drivers tried to unionize, and now we have sort of this driver council. They don't want to put the word union on it because I think they're a little bit afraid of what that word might mean 
We also see it with the, with the ownership uh, RTA drivers council, so or owners council basically, because they don't want to put the union tag on it. So I think that's got a lot to do with it. Um, you know, and I think this sort of hamstrings France a little bit because uh, it just you can't let them. You know, you have to try. They're trying to please everybody, and I think that's the biggest problem. Is you know, and, and there was an article in today's Wall Street Journal about, uh, and and there was a lot to it. It's a long article criticizing really leadership in NASCAR, and how they did not even have a have an idea of what the sponsorship would look like until December with Monster Energy. Uh, that there's, you know, basically a lot of people are confused on who's in charge. As far as NASCAR, is it Jim France? Is it Lisa France Kennedy? Is it Brian France? Who's ultimately in charge? Uh, and the ratings continue to decline, and the, and the attendance continue to decline. Um, so you have to wonder there if if things like that. Uh, and, and the Wall Street Journal touched on a lot of great points that are, that are concerning if you're a race fan. And you have to wonder what the next ten years of NASCAR is going to look like. Are are they in an oper- in a space where they can sort of Improve on what's going on with Monster Energy. Energy rejuvenate people. You know, basically the TV networks, because the ratings were so low, went to them and said, "You have to fix what's going on here," and they weren't able to do it. Um, and and I think that's a scary part of it is the fact that when you think about the TV deal, um, they were the ones that that sort of, you know, uh, went out there and put this together. Uh, as far as these stages go in these races, they were the ones that pushed that hard. And I think ultimately, and that's what my point about these stages are, is I can live with it because it's not the caution clock. And I think we were getting these caution clocks in these stages anyway because of the fact that the TV deals were saying, listen, this is how it's going to go. They they realized they, they paid a lot of money for it, and they went, listen, we're not getting the ratings we were used to seeing, we were expecting to see. We want to see some major changes in NASCAR, and they went out and did it. Um, and basically, that article stated that. And that's a Wall Street Journal. It's a very, very um, factual newspaper. That's a newspaper that's got a lot of, of of sources. They won't put something out there that's untrue. Very, very rarely. Uh, so you have to sit there and say they knew what was. They know what's going on here, um, and and they know what's going on with NASCAR. Uh, so. Yeah, I think they're in in an interesting time here in NASCAR, no doubt about it. Nine one seven eight eight nine eight two eight zero here. If you want to join the conversation on talking in circles, um, yeah, I mean, and and you know, as hard as that is, I love Speed Weeks. I really do. I think Speed Weeks is a great, great. Uh, it's a fun time in this sport. I really do. I think it, it, it's a, it's a, uh, it's a something that's a lot of fun, and I think it's something that needs to be, um, you know, looked at it as something that's great. And we have a couple more events here, John, coming up in Speed Weeks. We have the Xfinity Series race and the Truck Series race. What are your thoughts on 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 the Xfinity and Truck Series race? Do you think we'll see something? even better than what we, what you expect to see in the Cup? And I, I think we're losing John there here on Talking Circles. Um, but, you know, and, and let's look at 
the Xfinity series for a second. I mean, they're in an interesting, interesting dilemma because they have new rules this year. Uh, new rules in the Xfinity series, you know, where they're sort of uh, lower spoilers. They're gonna they're gonna cut down on the splitter. So very interesting at, at that point. And they have 44 cars down for the power shares QQQ 300 at Daytona International Speedway. Um, it's an interesting race. The only team that's really out there that doesn't have a, a driver sort of uh, in there is a 93 car at Obeka Motorsports. So that's an interesting team to keep an eye out for. Um, yeah, I mean, John, this whole Daytona thing is is very interesting. Um, what do you take on uh, as far as the Wall Street Journal said today? Let's get back to that topic. Um, what do you think about what the Wall Street Journal said? Basically, there's there's a lot, you know, confu- confusion in the garage area as far as the leadership. They were highly, highly critical of the leadership in NASCAR. What are your thoughts on that? The one thing back in the day, you would never hear Richard Petty say a bad word about the France family. And Richard Petty is quoted in this of saying he doesn't know who's in charge. And that's pretty sad when you have the king of your sport saying he doesn't know who's in charge. Brian France, they said, maybe showed up to half the races last last year. What would be the chances of Big Bill, Free, Big, Big Bill or Bill France Jr. not being at the track? I know every time I went to the track in a press credential, I always ran into Bill France Jr. Even when he had cancer, you still ran into Bill France Jr. He'd do his chemo treatments during the week, but he'd be at the circus on the weekends. Um, it's just scary how it is. I mean, they even said in the journal piece, we were talking $20 million a year for Monster Energy. The journal piece said it came in $20 million under the $35 million they were hoping for. So that's $15 million a year. That doesn't sponsor Danica's car, let alone Junior's car. That's a good point. And if you look through the way the uh, racing was, one of the things Monday, if you listen to Moody's show, everybody was griping and moaning about the Monster Energy girls that they look slutty. <laughs> What's the difference between the Hooters girls and the Monster Energy girls? Actually, the Monster Energy girls had more clothing on. It was tight leather pants, which is probably sweating their you-know-what's off. But it's part of the show. It doesn't yeah. hurt anything. They're not in a fire suit for one, this year. It's not that big a deal. But you look at the way they were talking about it. Tony Stewart complained last year that you couldn't find Brian France. Um, there would be no driver's council if Big Bill was still here. There would be no RTA if Big Bill was still here. I don't disagree with the RTA being in existence and the driver's council being in existence because if you look at any other sport, it's owned by the teams. And they have a commissioner who runs the sport on behalf of the teams. Here, They even showed it when they broke down how much the TV contract goes to. 65% goes to the tracks, 25% to the teams, 10% to NASCAR. So out of that billion-dollar contract, $750 million is going to NASCAR or the tracks. It just – the business model is not there. And it doesn't look like NASCAR is doing anything to try to make the business model better, if anything – they're making it worse because attendance is down. The ratings part, I give that twofold. Part of it's the product. Part of it is NBC and Fox are trying to start cable networks and using NASCAR as their centerpiece, and people can't find the races. 
That's always been a problem. I still don't know which channel NBCSN is at my house. And I've had it for two years. I keep searching for it and have to search. And if I, I mean, there's other people, if they have to search, they're not going to look. So part of it's they took it off the network. Part of it is the product isn't that great. We'll see how it is with the lower downforce this year. But right now, NASCAR is in a state of crisis. And not only do we see a crisis brewing at the NASCAR level, because even in the Wall Street Journal piece, they said Brian France sold his share of NASCAR years ago. Mm-hmm. That's when, Yeah, when's, it's been reported, right? When's Lisa France Kennedy or Jim France going to say, okay, Brian, you screwed the pooch. Thanks for playing. Goodbye. And get someone in there who can run the show. Whenever it was Mike Helton who had control and was running it as the president of NASCAR on behalf of the France family, NASCAR was running smooth. And then when Brian started playing and putting his own people in, the product has deteriorated, the ratings have dropped, the attendance has dropped, and the economy is picking up. So it is you can't really blame the uh, recession anymore for what caused the problem. The recession's starting to go away. Economy's picking up. But, I mean, I went last year to New Hampshire. New Hampshire has been a really good track for attendance. Mm-hmm. They love their racing up here. They only get the big boys up here twice a year. The Patriots were away. The Red Sox were away. And out of the 80,000 seats at New Hampshire, 40,000 were disguised as bleachers. I mean, 40, half the place was empty. And that's for the cup race. That's there was, that was incredible. And – they might have had 15,000 for the truck race there, which shows you how poor the attendance was for the clash at Daytona that they drew as many people in New Hampshire for the trucks as they did for the clash, the advanced auto parts clash at Daytona. So NASCAR is struggling. And as we said, it, I've said it many, many times, who's that next batch of owners going in? We saw nine uh, charters transfer this off season. When are we getting the new batch of owners? Rick Hendrick's not getting any younger. Roger Penske just turned 80. Jack Roush isn't getting any younger. Um, Richard Petty's not getting any younger, even though Andrew Merstein's his money. Richard Childress isn't getting any younger. These owners are all up there in age. Joe Gibbs isn't getting any younger. And with JD mm-hmm. having his illness, who knows? I mean, the rumor that was going around with the Carl Edwards thing about him going to Dodge or whatever, but I could see Joe selling the team to right. Carlos Slim down the road because he's got to take care of JD and make sure his 400 plus employees that he's considered his family still have a place to go to work once he gets out of the show. So, I mean, NASCAR is in a crisis in many modes. The first way to do it is fix the product. And we'll see how they do it this year. Yeah, and and you have to wonder, you know, partially too. They they're coming off a of momentum where they've announced these changes at the for for the, right before the clash, and you have to wonder maybe if people are are rebelling against those changes. And I, in a way, I feel bad for them there because I don't think I think their hands were tied. I think the TV contract said you have to do this, and NASCAR went okay and kind of said, well, what's the best way we can go about this? Asked the drivers, asked the team owners, and came up with this plan as far as giving points out, and at least you get something for uh, the cautions coming out. But 
I do think, and I, I really believe the TV said, listen, we don't want these long, you know, big-time races anymore. We want natural breaks in there. But here's my thing, and, and when we look at a team like – let's let's look at it from a sports perspective as far as NASCAR is concerned. When you see a team like Rash Fender Racing who struggled for year, for the last five years here, uh, they made some wholesale changes this year. Coming from the top, Robbie uh, Reiser's gone now. They've they brought in some younger blood. You know, and NASCAR, and I'm not calling out the people directly, but it just seems like nobody. Robin Pemberton's gone now, but you know they brought in Scott Miller, but nobody's really changed as far as the top echelon in that sport. Brian France, Mike Helton. Uh, it just seems like maybe if if the product is is if you know ratings are down and attendance is down, there should be some major major changes where you bring in fresh blood and you bring in somebody who says, listen. Let's look at it from an outside perspective. But I think part of it is, and Dale Hart Jr. made this comment to Marty Smith, and it's something that I thought was very interesting. I think he can tie it into NASCAR. He said, you know, before Amy, before he met his wife, that nobody ever said no to him because he had all the power, all the money, all the fame, and everybody was just sort of saying, yes, yes, yes. He met Amy, and Amy said no, and he goes, that's good because I need people to tell me and, and have enough guts to say no to me. And put yourself in NASCAR shoot, and, and people working in NASCAR. The France family owns half the racetracks and run NASCAR. They have since the beginning. They have the power. They have the fame. They have the money. Are there people with guts in there to say no to them when they make a bad move? That, that John, is where I have to sit there and wonder, is that the, the real problem with NASCAR? I think 40,000 people said no to them last year at New Hampshire. Instead of the 75, 80,000, it's usually there on a Sunday for a cup race and only 40,000 showed up. I think they're starting to put the word out. And in the Wall Street Journal piece, they even went into it deeper that NBC wanted midweek races in the fall because they didn't want to go up against football on Sundays because they're getting killed. Because the product, I mean, even putting the championship playoffs going on against football, they're not even showing up on the radar. So NASCAR, I mean, NBC went to NASCAR and said, hey, we want midweek races. And the tracks are saying, hey, we can't get people to come in in the middle of the week because people travel from five states away a lot of times to go to some of these races. So it just was a tough, I mean, it's NASCAR's in a very tough predicament. And when you say the top echelon in NASCAR hasn't changed, right, Brian France is still there, Mike Helton's still there, but Mike Helton's in a much more limited role than he ever was. John Darby's gone. John Darby is the guy who made the races go. Robin Pemberton and Gary Nelson, they're the ones that made the cars work the way they did. And now you got Scott Miller in there, and they're playing, uh, try to make everything go. I mean, it's getting to the point where the bodies have changed a little bit, so you can at least tell the difference between a Ford Chevy and a Toyota. But they're kit cars almost anymore. And you remember the last organization that ran a kit car on a regular basis? It was the IRL against CART, and it didn't fare well. IROC was all kit cars, and everything was prepared identically, supposedly to put everything in the driver's hands. But if they're prepared identically, everybody's going to go the same speed. The only way you can pass somebody is to wreck them. So the ingenuity to go to the shop, build something, and take it to the track isn't there and when they do, they're in this box that NASCAR puts in them, puts them in, and then they have to engineer their way out of the box. 
And that doesn't make for good racing either. It doesn't make for the ingenuity of the driver, ingenuity of the crew chief, ingenuity of the guys building the car. It's the guys who can find that little tick inside the car that may work one week and may not work the next. Yeah, and, and you have to wonder if the rules are too much here, John. I mean, look at this week with uh, front remote, furniture racing, excuse me. Um, they Both of their cars struggled going through inspection, and it was thousands and thousands of an inch apparently that they were off on. And you have to sit there and wonder, is that really good for the sport? I mean, are we really maybe – is it is it too much that we're we're – Inspecting these cars to be perfectly, you know, and you brought a great point. When they all run the same speed, nobody's going to go anywhere. That's that is a phenomenal, phenomenal point. And I agree. You know, and every and it, I cringe when I hear Larry Rick Reynolds and he says this a lot, where they said NASCAR regulates this, NASCAR regulates that, NASCAR regulate, regulates the shocks. They regulate. Don't regulate it. Don't just sit there. And I know that the problem is you're going to have teams going out there and and spending money and 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 uh, finding an advantage over things. But, you know, I want to see some ingenuity back. I want to see where where these cars struggle to handle in turn four, where somebody's loose and somebody's tight and somebody's hit it perfectly. I want to see that again. And I feel like right now in Daytona, especially right now, is they're all running basically the same speed. The cars are all doing sort of the same thing. And you better hope that, you know, you find a hole in the draft to win these races. It doesn't matter how your car handles. Uh, it's it's such a fine tune thing right now, and and I, I don't like it. I just I wish we we saw some ingenuity and these teams use some creativity. And it you know we have teams that completely missed the setup and teams that completely hit on it and teams that are sort of there and they can work on it. I, I would like to see that uh, here in Daytona, but right now it's the big teams are fast. The slower team, the smaller teams are slow, and that's how it goes. I mean, was there really a small team out there on Sunday that went out there and cut a great lap at Daytona? No. Uh, the 13 car is the only team you can sort of say that about, but they're with Hendrick, they're with uh, Richard Childress Racing. So I'm gonna say it's a fourth you know, RCR car, right? So uh, you know, it, it's just it's mind-boggling to me that I think we've sort of, you know, like you said, you got to engineer out of a box, and I think the rules are way too tight. Well, here as we keep talking about this. I'm looking through the J-Ski chart of who has what inventory available. Let's look at it. Danica Patrick, she's supposed to be a marketing machine, and Nature's Bakery pulled out at the last minute, so she's got sponsorship problems there. Clint Boyer, nobody knows how many races Mobile One has signed up for because technically Harvick is the lead driver for Mobile One. Clint has probably most of the season open on that 14 car. Ricky Stenhouse Jr., he's got 24 races where there's sponsorship announced. So that's 12 regular season races and the two other races. Um, Matt Kenseth, only 18 races have been announced on that car. That's half the season for the 2003 champion and a guy who won the most races in 2015. Um, you keep going through, there's plenty of inventory available. Newman's probably got 10 races sitting there that could be filled on the 31 car. Um, Kurt Busch could always use, because I bet Gene Haas would like to put other things on there instead of Haas Automation. 
They're saying 26 to 31 races for Target, but nobody really knows. Five races for Credit One on the 42 for Kyle Larson. He's got open space. I mean, I think Dale Jr. has two races open. Eric Jones has 22 races with five-hour energy. That's 16 races open game. There's spots on Truex's car. I mean, there's plenty of openings available and here we are at Daytona. Most everybody, it used to be, everything was set by, I mean, everything was set by July because they were making die casts in September, doing photo shoots in October, and had all the paint schemes announced before the end of the season. Now here we are, you watch the race, and you may see a press conference before the race to say, hey, today we've got Florida Lottery on the car because we made this deal two minutes ago. Almost like the old days of Thunder whenever they finally got a sponsor in Victory Lane. I mean, it's to the point where there's so many problems going on. NASCAR's got their buns in a – I mean, they're screwing things up big time. The There's too many rules. The box is too tight. There's no chance of ingenuity. You've got who's in charge, who's on first, who knows what's happening. You've got the uh, car owners who are dictating to the sport – You've got the drivers who are dictating what they want. You've got the TV networks who are funding the sport, telling them what they want. You've got the fans saying the product's not that good. We're not coming. And then you've got a lot of teams with a lot of inventory available right now. And we are four days away from the Daytona 500. It's well, a sad and look state at, right now. The 38 team, David Reagan, had a uh, sponsorship announcement this week. Nine races for Camping World, but they went into Saturday with nothing on a race car. They uh, they practiced with with uh, nothing on a race car. Now, what the deal was behind that, we don't know. But that's kind of a big team with a charter guaranteed into the Daytona 500. David Reagan's a guy who can win on on the play tracks. To not have a sponsor was a little bit alarming. You're sitting there going, hmm, what's going on there? I'll be curious because in the years past, we've seen stuff go. We've seen teams go into the to speed weeks without sponsorship, make the Daytona 500 and sponsorship was found. Landon Castle did it a few years ago. I think they had Lending Tree on their car. Uh, it just, you know, even Brian Kozlowski, when he was pushed into the Daytona 500 by Brad, he got discount tire to sponsor him in the Daytona 500. Uh, the Daytona 500 is the most watched race in NASCAR. Um, bands will turn. So even the 33rd, you know, the 40th place car usually gets sponsorship for that race. Um, I'll be curious to see if that happens this year. You know, there's two teams right now without sponsorship. One of them's guaranteed into the Daytona 500. Brendan gone because of his qualifying speed. The other one's uh, Premium Motorsports and Reid Sorensen, who's pretty close to being locked into the Daytona 500. So I'll be interested to see if both of those teams get sponsorship for the 500. Because if they don't, that'll be I think that'll be a little not a huge alarming, not a you know crazy bells, but it'll be like wow, they can't find sponsorship for Daytona. That's a little alarming for those guys. South Point will be on Brendan John's car in the Daytona 500. You watch and make sure that South Point Most Casino likely. will be on there. But, I mean, it's it's the point where we're struggling in every direction you look. There's You can't point it anywhere other than saying Jimmy Johnson and Lowe's and Chad Knauss are going to be there. Look anywhere else, there's a question mark. Dale Jr., whether he's going to race, whether he's going to get in a wreck, whether he's going to be able to fulfill the season, whether he's going to sign a new contract. Has Boyer got any sponsorship coming? I mean, 
the questions are everywhere. The only team that seems totally rock solid to me right now is uh, Penske Racing. Like they always are, it seems like. <laughs> uh, or 2017 here is a very, very interesting and a pivotal year in NASCAR. And listen, I'm excited for the Daytona Speed Weeks. I'm excited to go down there. I think the truck race is going to be phenomenal. they got a lot of young, great, and experienced talent in that race. Xfinity is going to be interesting because I'm going to see if they can push the draft. And the 500, hopefully the racing is very good in the 500. John, thanks so much for helping me out tonight. Great show as always, and we'll see you next week here on Talking Circles. Good night, everybody. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.